If you don't know the name Steve Coolius, you haven't been listening to TSN Radio once upon a time, to the score on TSN, to various shows and broadcasts, including at one time Buffalo Sabres play-by-play and American Hockey League play-by-play. Steve was even nominated once for a Gemini Award for Best Sportscaster Anchor, an award that was won that year by James Duthie, a good Ottawa boy who went to the same high school that my daughter went to, Gloucester High School in Ottawa. Anyway, I digress. These days, he hosts a show on the NHL Network on Sirius XM Channel 91. Uh, he is very well known in the, uh, in the hockey talk community, but his biggest job has been as a dad to his two daughters, Jacqueline and Jessica, who grew up playing hockey. One of them is still playing at the University of Guelph, which brings me to today's topic about girls hockey. Steve, welcome to, uh, to Grassroots, the minor hockey show. You and I talk a lot, would you say? Yes, we do, because uh, what do they say about uh, uh, either misery loves company or people of the same cloth that are cut together, love to sit around, have a coffee and talk hockey. We're, it's in the blood. Everything else in life gets in the way of us talking hockey, Richard. Was that second one an actual expression? Because if it was, it's a pretty recent one. I've never heard it before. I, I'm trying to get original. I'm making it up. So, you, you know, as the father of two daughters, well, let's go back even further because, you know, your daughters are now young women. But going back to when you started in the business, you went to Ryerson and studied broadcasting at Ryerson. What was your opinion of girls hockey back then, long before you were a dad? Well, I guess the first uh, glimpse of girls hockey for me, uh, I, I like to say as the uh, skip the dishes commercial, uh, I like to think myself in the 35 to 42 age group, uh, which I, I am not. But when I was uh, a young lad in the 70s in Scarborough, there was an arena called Centennial Arena, all those rinks that were built in 1967. Uh, it was a beautiful facility, uh, ice galaxy for figure skating, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I, I was a rink rat there, and that's where I played my minor hockey. And I would watch games when I played or before and after, and I'd sit up in the, almost the press box area. And then on Sundays, when I came, uh, I saw all these ponytails and I thought blasphemy, what are the girls doing going into our rink? And um, I was, I never saw it. I was shocked. I, 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 I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I asked some people said, Hey, they get one hour on a Sunday. You know, I said, well, I guess that's fair. One hour on a Sunday. So it started very poorly, a very old school. And if somebody would have stopped me right there and said, you will change your opinion very, very soon. In, in the grand scheme of things, I would have said, well, we'll see. Well, I did. And it took a long time for it to finally change, Richard. Well, you, so in other words, you were admitting to being a male chauvinist pig back when you first saw girls playing hockey in the ponytails hanging out of the helmets. But what was your opinion of, of how they played? Did you watch enough of it? Or did you just turn your head and go, oh, this is ridiculous? Well, I, you know, in life that when you want to say something is, it fits your narrative. Remember, I would have been in the 8 to 12 category. So at that point, I wouldn't have been able to say, you know, remember, this is the 70s here. I didn't know that these girls were all playing on a team or in this case, they might have been all the girls in Scarborough getting together, and there might have only been 20 of them. <laughs> who knows at the time? And who knows if Vicky Sanahara and Laura Schuler and some of the other girls that I would later become friends with uh, go to high school with. Um, and, uh, 
become, you know, uh, fans of, you know, and, and it, it changed, I guess, as the eighties came and then we would have at our school in Wolverine floor hockey games. So I was in charge of our team. So I would then go recruit Laura because you had to have two or three girls on your team, one girl on the floor the whole time. So now I was about winning. So I would run to the office. Where's Laura Schuler's schedule? What class is she in? Go get her, sign her to a contract, and she would be on our team. And we would have outstanding full school floor hockey games. I'm talking hundreds show up to watch. So soon as it was important to me, (laughs) girls hockey started to go higher on the list because my own selfish uh, greed, I guess. But when you watch them on the ice, now, as you got older, you know, by the time you were at Ryerson University, you know, we're far more mature at 20, 21, 22 than we were at 12, or we think we are. Uh, Did you watch female hockey back then? Yes, because I was also kind of not interning, volunteering at Scarborough Cable, which was an outstanding you know, Wayne's World cable show. And, and I had my own cable show. And, and, and on the show, you go out and do features. I, so you go out and do a feature. I, I was introduced to Paul Tracy and I followed him up the ranks and did a documentary on him and won an award in, in Holland, apparently. I haven't received it, but I apparently won an award. So then I did a story on girls hockey. And I was friends with a girl named Jody DuPont because I played uh, baseball, softball with her brother. And in 1990 was the first piece that I did and that was the first time in the piece, which is 31 years old now, that I went, wow, like they're here and they're good and they're not going away. And, and uh, it was 1990. And I think there were 2000 female players in Ontario in 1990. That's what I remember saying in the piece. Might have been the country, but I think it was Ontario. And we did the piece and it was 1990. And at that point, I knew it was different. And I, at that point, I knew a world championship was coming. So my goal was to make sure Canada on the female side, for me selfishly again, and for Canada, that we were better than the Americans, that we were going to win, that they got their chance. And also I thought, I like girls hockey now. Like I'm into it. This is a good way for me to be a broadcaster. If I can't become at that point, Dave Hodge, well, I can do girls hockey to get me onto the boys side. So I was looking at it as that kaleidoscope. uh, And I was in like in the 1990s, I was in because I then kind of got it and i probably got it earlier way before i became a dad how would you have described looking back on it now how would you have described the caliber quality of the girls hockey that you were watching well compared to it right now that would have been stick men drawing and today it's uh you know it's a van gogh incomparable like what, what one was black and white the other is hd 4k Mm-hmm. Now, you said there were about 2,000 girls or might have been about 2,000 girls playing at that time. Today, there's about uh, 39,000 uh, females playing hockey in the province of Ontario, which accounts for nearly 20% of the number of females playing hockey worldwide, which is an astonishing number. The, uh, the quality obviously has improved a lot. Your girls, your two daughters grew up playing hockey. You put them in the sport because of what? Was it because of your love of the game or were there other options or what? I put them in the sport um, later than I normally would because I was so career infested, infested in, in, in uh, invested at the time that I put them in figure skating because I thought uh, almost going against my own beliefs that they have to skate. It's Canada. They got to learn to skate, but I wasn't, 
gung-ho to put him in hockey. My wife wasn't as much either about not being an athlete. She's figure skated, so why not figure skating? Don't want them to get hurt. Um, we weren't connected to anyone in our community that had the girls in hockey at the time. So I kind of, you know, to use a baseball term, I balked. So I, I kind of balked until they met friends who at their ages of seven, six, and five were playing and then said, why don't you try it? And then at that point, I said to Jacqueline at seven, do you want to try it? And her answer was yes. So then we were invested. She's born in 2000, so the numbers are always easy. Seven-year-old, September of 2007, my life changed forever. Forever, Richard. How so? Jeez, I'm such a suck. I get emotional. I just, uh, I can't believe if I, if I didn't put them in, like if, uh, what I would have missed for camaraderie and friendship and Canadiana and meeting parents and meeting the kids and life lessons. And uh, I, I just would have, I, 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 I would have missed the, I would have missed the boat. I would have missed the party. I would have fear of missing. I would have missed all of it. And uh, uh, I get emotional thinking about it because Jacqueline's done now in theory. I mean, hopefully she comes back as a 24 year old lawyer and then starts her own league and they can like, they'll never stop playing. They, they go play in the ponds now during COVID, which was great that they just play always on their own. And to think if I didn't have it and the new friends we made, we have a core group of the 2000 dads there's a group of seven of us that we call the group of seven. Now, you know, I, I don't know if it's political, but we all are all seven Canadian conservatives too. And we all have a love of one particular NHL team, but I'm neutral. But anyway, we're all together. We all drink Molson Canadian. We all have the same beliefs. So we all get along very well. We would never have met. And that's kind of my core group going forward. We're all from Scarborough where we grew, where I grew up. I've got friends who had left to go to the States and, and California and, and everywhere else. So I lost kind of my a core group of friends. And now through minor hockey, they're fitting in to where I left off when I left Scarborough. So that's almost a, you know, meet, meet us in Jerusalem in the future because we're, where are you from? Scarborough, where? Mark and Ellesmere. Oh, oh, what do you, so that part is, so maybe more so for my, my love of the game and my future that the minor hockey thing helped me with a, with a social group and everything else, never mind what it did for them and what it taught them on and off the ice. And uh, I mean, they're women who speak up. They're women who, you know, Jacqueline has a, has a podcast, a political podcast. She wants to become a lawyer. Jacqueline just wants to be a business person. She's a leader. She's a captain. She's the one that speaks up and says, I disagree or looks you in the eye and shakes your hand and asks about you, you know, not on their phone and head down. And, and, and so all those things that I think hockey and, and the system, which everyone helped create in Hockey Canada, I think that, uh, thank God, we are part of. And we're, we've been a Whitby for 16 years, 13 part of hockey. I can't imagine not being a part of it. And it was almost my fault because career and because they're girls, which, again, I should know better. Thank God I balked, but I had a chance to throw another pitch, as the saying goes. Would, would you think that uh, the parents – of kids who they, they've put them in baseball or soccer or swimming or, you know, any other activity would more or less have the same approach. We are all very passionate about the sports either we're involved in or we put our kids in. 
So obviously you're a passionate hockey person uh, and that draws out from you a certain, certain emotion, but the people who are, whose kids are in diving or gymnastics, would they not say the same thing? Or do you think there's something unique about hockey? I think they would say the same thing and, and maybe they would believe it or they sort of would, but I've had people who have had kids either in it, they might not have been as interested or there might've been separation or divorce, or um, they didn't come from as much of a hockey background. And they would say, having been say in the soccer world, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. There is a jealousy of all the other sports compared to hockey. And I get it because it's still cliche, but it's Canadiana. It's different. I'm not just saying it's better um, in, in every aspect, because then you're saying, well, how is it? Well, my kids in diving, my kids this, it's hard to explain unless you've kind of been in both. And I, I have myself and so have the kids in the summer, you know, they play, they, they've swam soccer, skiing, like all of it. Hockey is better. The group is better. It is different. It is us. Not just you better put them in hockey because it is Canadiana. You put them in hockey because of the hockey culture. I'm saying the positive aspect. And the real honest truth is that when you play and are involved in all these other sports, that in our core, we believe it matters more. And that the environment that it, remember, you get to a soccer game. When are you there? You're there 40 minutes, put on the shoes and everything else. The hockey is more of a sense of community. It's more of a sense of discussion. It's more of a sense of, I think, accomplishment because you got to learn to skate, got to learn to skate. Then you play house league. From house league, you get into rep. And in the, in the other sports, which we can argue are as competitive, are not as competitive and are as not as gratifying to the Canadian consciousness. And I think even the parents of the other sports who don't have their kids in hockey kind of know that. They might think it's snobbery or elitism and everything else, but it is, it is different. And for me, maybe it's been part of my life since my memory begins at four, but I think is experience all the sports. And then you tell me on a blind survey, what didn't matter more, bring out the best of community of uh, teamwork, uh, um, uh, of, uh, of, of, uh, of camaraderie of Canadiana than this. Some would say it's cliche. The diving thing is just as important as the hockey thing. I don't believe that to be true. I don't know if we can ever prove it. Um, all I know is this. Um, Seven million Canadians per minute average have watched women's hockey in, their, in its peak. Seven million. As much as one ever NBA game in Canada. One. One game. Not as much as Crosby or the Leafs or the Habs in their peak. 7 million of 35 at the time have watched women's hockey, not diving, not soccer. The World Cup, the men's World Cup does not come close to that number. That's kind of my proof. Well, the women's, women's World the women's World Club does pretty well, too. I mean, watching Christine Sinclair and, and her colleagues is, is really joyous. It's, it's wonderful not, watching the women's national soccer team. I mean, they're, yeah, not 7 million though, not 7 million, not 7 million. No, but all right, let's go, let's go back to when your, your daughters started playing hockey, which is really not that long ago. We're talking, you know, 14, 15 years ago. Well, your younger daughter is now, Jessica is now how old? 
18 turning 19 this year. He's 18. So we're only talking 12 years ago. So it's still a, a very recent memory. Did you ever feel when you started your girls in hockey that you were perhaps rolling the dice in some way? Rolling the dice for injury? Rolling the dice for, uh, am I being a good dad by putting my kids in this sport versus something else? Softball, basketball, playing the piano. I don't know. No, we, they, we, we look at our daughters differently, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do. I, I think the only thing was my wife had said that she was just worried about safety. So if you play uh, tennis or golf, um, but they played the piano, um, they skied, you know, uh, they, 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 if we weren't in hockey, they probably would have been more competitive in skiing. They love skiing. Uh, we did everything except curling. I, I'll tell you that. And as a family, we want to get out and curl. I've curled before. I love it. It's not just an old person sport. No, it's uh, a good sport. Yeah. Promote the Canadian Curling Club. But they, they see it, then they want to try it. Uh, they played baseball. They played soccer. Uh, they were never into basketball. was never never hit with them. Uh, they played volleyball, all those things. But I was never rolling the dice. I said, once you start and we buy everything, you got to finish the year. So you're, you're, you've signed a one-year deal and we're, we're doing this for one year. And then it went 13 years and it's still going with my other daughter. It's great. And it, they've got a love of the game. They love coming down to the hockey basement and watching the game. Um, we talk about it. Uh, are they as obsessed as I was? No. Do they watch every single NHL game? No. But, you know, the other night I'm texting, what are you doing? Uh, and they're watching the game. So that's the thing about the phone and technology. And when we were younger, it was either Wednesday or Saturday. And that was it. And to, to, for me to get a Buffalo Sabres game on Fox 29 was un unbelievable. But was I rolling the dice? No. And I was never, ever committed to them doing anything other than playing house league. Playing house league forever until they aged out. They played. And my goal was they would like it enough that they would then put their kids, boys or girls, in the game. That was honestly my goal. What was your role when they started playing hockey? How did you get involved? Uh, my role was because I was working nights and in television. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to have to go to bed earlier. I'm, I'm going to get less sleep. So I would be home Friday night, one o'clock, my body clock. I don't go to bed till two or three. I knew at five 30 we're up, right? I'm up getting them dressed, uh, to the rig. We had a six o'clock Saturday morning practice. So I said, okay, I'll just have to take a nap afterwards. And the, the very first drive, we agreed that, Jacqueline would almost be dressed already, like almost be dressed. And then when I woke her up, uh, like I said, look, I'll get you up at 530 because Jessica gets up right away. Jacqueline had to be woken up. So she was half dressed, finished dressing her, put her in the back seat of the CRV. We're leaving the first September in 2009. I looked in the rearview mirror and I said, oh, I hope I hope all this turns out right. Like, I hope it works as I as I reversed down the driveway, I looked in the rearview mirror. She wasn't there. She had toppled over and fell asleep. We got to the rink and I kept saying, what do you think? Do you like it? Do you like it? But then I thought I was always asked that. It bothered me that my dad always asked me that. Dad, if I didn't like it, I would tell you, I like it. I want to be here. So once I asked her a couple of times and then she said, what time's practice next week? What time's our game on? You know, then I knew I didn't have to worry about it. And we were off and we were off. It was never my feet hurt. It's too cold or anything else. Her thing mostly was she wanted to be like the boys. So she thought, why can't I play with the boys? Um, so that's how we were off and running. House league was great. And we were fully invested at an early age.
There have been parents. Uh, I mean, there are fewer and fewer now because uh, there's more and more girls hockey. It's a little bit more pervasive than it was even 10, 15 years ago. But there have been parents who have put their, their children in boys hockey because they, their perception is that it's better, uh, particularly the, the, the more highfalutin, higher skilled players. Uh, they put their kids in boys hockey, you know, at, at age 9, 10, 11, 12, bring them back to girls hockey when there's body checking type of thing. But you don't see a whole lot of that now. That obviously did not cross your mind way back when, when the girls were starting. No, never. We, we were never even thinking about the, the scholarship, the Team Canada, the NCAA or the CIS. All of it was just to say, play to enjoy it. Gives us something to do on a Saturday, Sunday, exercise, camaraderie. And if they like it enough when they're 25 and have kids, uh, and if, God forbid if the, the husband is not a, a hockey person, that the girl, my girls say, no, no, little Jackie and Jess are playing hockey. They can play the other sports, but they're playing hockey for sure. That was, that was all that I was hoping to get very short term and then long term out of it. Never once playing with boys crossed my mind. Well, when uh, you, they, you said they started in, in house league, uh, at what point did they make the transition to more competitive hockey? Well, it kind of just happened organically. It just, you know, people came up and said, uh, I guess it started with other parents who said, Jacqueline's doing very well. You should think about putting her in rep hockey. And I still, again, even though I should know better, I was like, oh, hadn't thought of that. As opposed to being the one that said, fast track, fast track, or, or she's done her one year in house league, it's time for rep and everything else. And maybe part of it was, again, career oriented. I was soaring up the charts with the score and thinking about TSN and hosting Hockey Night in Canada and all those things. And I worked at night. And if I put them in rep hockey, I might have thought to myself, well, I won't get to see them anyway. <laughs> so being in house league, I, I'm at the practice, I'm at the game, and maybe there's some select stuff, but I won't miss it. But at one point for Jacqueline, it just became, you know, it was, uh, it, it was like the junior age kid who then was drafted, then was still in major junior that was time to be at a higher level. It was just she had organically outgrew the house league. And then people said, hey, the tryouts are starting. It's time that she tries out. I asked her about it and she felt it was time to go to the next level. So if I write my Netflix movie, it would be called Pee Wee B. Because for Jacqueline, that's where it started. And for Jessica, she kind of got there a little quicker. So she saw her sister getting into rep. She kind of fast-tracked herself through. And then at one point, they were both playing rep hockey, what the Americans call travel, but we call rep at the same right. time. Well, just to clarify, Jacqueline is now at the University of Windsor, and she played there for a year, correct? So she's 21 now? Yeah, just right. turned 21. All right. And Jessica uh, is at Guelph and is still playing at Guelph. Uh, and she's yep. 19, 18. She's 18, late birthday, 18 turning 19. She's an 02. So, so she's, she's only, the 02. Okay. So she's only two years out of technically minor hockey, minor hockey, you know, finishes at age 17. So Steve, when the, when the, when your daughters made the transition to competitive hockey, what was that like for you? Well, that was like going from the country club to game seven of the Stanley cup final. It, it was wow, you could feel the, you know, the excitement, the good things, the competitiveness, the better practices, um, you know, doing things at the time that I thought was unbelievable and cutting edge. Wow, they're asking them to stick handle and do these drills that they weren't doing in house league. At the time, I thought everything was done in rep hockey was amazing and great and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, you kind of learn as you go along. But 
It was going from that's nice. Here's a ribbon to let's go. Let's go. If you don't play well, you might have to sit a ship. Let's go. There's conditioning, there's food, there's Thursday night development, there's tournaments. So it's a mini NHL. When I saw Jacqueline on the ice in Clarington for the first ever game of rep hockey that she was playing three lines, music, uniform sweaters, uh, you know, a cheer, all that stuff. You know, you 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 get there and say, "This is the NHL for eleven-year-olds, right?" It's this this is it. I mean, they got to be here an hour and a half and all that stuff. And we were blown away at the time and thinking to ourselves. And at that point, it didn't matter that it was the lowest of all the rep teams. It was that they were in it. So again, I could have lived with them staying there forever. But it was like, wow, she loves it. We love it. This is great, Dad. I'm going to get a jacket and all that stuff. Uh, it was not house league. It was not the country club. We went from the country club into NHL playoff hockey. That's what it felt like. Well, you, you've got more than twice as much practice time going from house league to competitive. And the cost, of course, multiplies accordingly. I mean, uh, whatever it was costing you back then, I don't know, 500 bucks, 600 bucks for your kids to play house league. And then you go to twice or three times that amount for competitive hockey plus tournaments and whatnot. Um, it's, it's a different world entirely, isn't it? Yeah. Different world. Now, again, um, you know, I grew up a middle-class family. I was doing well and have done well. Uh, I like to think it's earned and deserved. I, nobody ever handed me anything as a first generation immigrant, but I was in the category of a parent who did not care what anything costed. Right. It would have been, New helmet, new stick, you know, first class flight, it would, would, right? It, would, it wouldn't have mattered. So there is the cost. You know, my wife does the bills and she would say, well, it's, you know, your drinking budget has gone through the roof. I said, <laughs> part of doing business, part of doing business. <laughs> part of doing business in minor hockey? Yes, yes, all of it. So for me, all that stuff was, yep, yep, we'll pay those bills. It was me of saying, when's the next game? When's the next? I watched the practices. Like I was, I, I, I did know that in a practice you're on for 50 minutes of the 60, let's say 10 minute flood. Uh, that's where the development is. So I watched the practices because that's 50 minutes of ice time, as opposed to a game when mathematically you do it where, well, if you played 36 minutes, even in rep 12, 12 and 12, and you've got three lines, that's probably, um, that's probably um, 12 minutes of ice time. Right. In theory. So at that point, that's the way I uh, kind of looked at it to get to get better. Like, oh, work on your backhand, work on your skating and, and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it was a different, different world. Did you know uh, very well uh, parents of kids who were uh, on the boys side in competitive hockey? Uh, yes, I, I did. And I thought, wow, their horror stories are worse than ours. So there's are their stuff is scarier. Thank God we don't have to deal with the NHL aspect. And maybe that was the biggest part of girls hockey. Eventually, I'd learn about the NCAA and the school aspect in Canada uh, and the Team Canada dream. But the NHL aspect for similar aged people were different because they were all going to the show at eight. We didn't have a show <laughs> to go to. So that was kind of the biggest differences. And we would look at each other and think, even though we were drinking till four in the morning talking girls hockey, thank God we're not crazy like the boys side. <laughs> They stay up till five. We only stay up till four uh, and have an eight o'clock tournament game. So we looked at ourselves like we were lucky that we were not involved, invested as much as the boys side was, even though we were, but the NHL aspect made it different. Did you, do you, do you think that it made the environment 
I don't want to use the word healthier, but I will mentally healthier for the parents and for the girls, because the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is somewhat smaller and doesn't accrue the same amount of money as going from, you know, on the boys side from, from minor hockey to junior a or major junior or college or draft or, and so forth. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I do believe it. As whacked as we were, uh, <laughs> as much as people, as much as people at times lost their shit, as we called it, what happened over there? So-and-so's losing his shit, you know, as much as it would have been worse. And I'm sure is worse on the boys side. I totally believe that we had parents on our team who had their daughter with us and they also had a son a year. So, and they would come over and say, it's just better over here. It's just crazy there that, that, that dad who, you know, didn't get the kid as much ice time. It's because, you know, they're screwing their kid from going to how old are you? How old are they? They're 10, they're 11 or, or whatever. So in a way I thought that was good, but had I had a if Jack and Jess were two boys as opposed to two girls, I would have kind of gone and lived in that world, which I can only imagine what it's like, but I'm sure different once you're in it. Well, you're pretty well versed in female hockey now. I mean, you sent me uh, some clips back in, was it November, December with, uh, you know, was it a text or an email that said, see, girls can play hockey too. Some clips from, uh, from university games and which I knew because I've been watching female hockey since the seventies. When I went to Loyola college in Montreal, there was their girls hockey team was called the Loyola Tommies, T-O-M-M-I-E-S. I don't know why they have that name, but um and I knew a bunch of the females on that team, they were outstanding athletes. One of them was the athlete of the year for, for the university, Diane Court. She played basketball, she played hockey, you know, piddly winks, you name it, she could do it. So uh, I, I've been pretty well versed in the female game for years, although I've never really been involved in it. Now you've been involved in it as a parent. You were also assisting coaching, I believe, for, for a while. How do you view the, the female game now compared with what, people say who aren't as well versed in it i think very long that was a very long question wasn't it no no i think that um well let me use an example because i did um i call and i've called the elite i've called the team canada women i called the four nations cup um and and so that's Haley wickenheiser in overtime so that was 2011 after vancouver which i was there for the women's gold and the men's gold and i think there was a time that it's almost as if you and I go to a piano recital and we listen and a kid's out there doing their thing. And you and I think this is unbelievable. The kid can play the piano and people there say, this is the bronze category. If you want to really see the gold category, you stay for Susie and, and, and Jennifer and you and I go, well, this is good enough for us. Uh, we, we think this is amazing. So what people have done is kind of split the, this onion into saying, wow, they can, they're on the ice. And they can put the back, the, the little black thing in the net once in the game. And then others say, yeah, but we got to, we got to teach them, you know, the Royal road, or we got to teach them skill development. We got to teach them the kick out like the boys do. We got to teach them how to shoot the puck by using the bend and, and the flex, as opposed to the way they're shooting now. Well, it's still good. Oh, I know it's still good, but there's so many layers of, yeah, they're, they're on the ice and just playing hockey. It's unbelievable that they're on there to, okay, what can we do to really be really good and elite? So it's kind of like stages, if we want to call it four stages, just getting on the ice to going to a game last year, I guess, or the year before, 
nine, the whole lower bowl sold out at the, at the Scotiabank Arena. So it's half the building is sold out. They don't sell in the upper bowl, but so you've got nine, 10,000 there. Everyone's in the seat. So it's not, they're not giveaway tickets. You bought your ticket. Canada, the United States, they're playing a game at the highest level. And our girls team is there. And the Canadian team at that point is doing things that the Leafs are doing which then make you go, wow, like they're doing center breakout when, you know, and uh, you know, it's a small example. Puck goes into the corner and I, I know, you know, Richard, I'm doing for the audience picture. Puck goes into the corner and your left-handed shooting defenseman looks up, they've sealed the wall. They're forechecking behind the net. The only play is the play, which is center breakout. Now if that pass, Jake Gardner doesn't find Tyler Bozak and they score. The parents say, well, don't cheer. He says never pass up the middle. No, Don is 40 years behind. We break up out the middle because they give us that and we're gone. And everybody in the NHL uses it. If it goes wrong, that doesn't mean it's the wrong play. It doesn't work. The girls are doing it. Center breakout. Wow, I love that. Then the kick out, the Winnipeg Jets. They gain over the blue line. Kick it right or left, center drive. There's that triangle. Fake shot across the Royal Road, one-timer goal. And they scored what was the game-winning goal in that game. So to me, this is... This is unbelievable. It's not about winning or losing the game. It's trying, playing the right way, develop the right way, which eventually will lead to the winning. So to me, I think going from seeing the ponytails in the 70s, going through the Laura Schuler, Vicky Sanahara, kids are in minor hockey, to this stuff, I'm saying this is why the, the, the girls hockey, women's hockey is developing the right way in, in many places, not everywhere, is because that's the goal. The goal is not just to score the goal and win one nothing and dump and chase and grind it down. And no, it's about playing the right way. That's more fun. That's skill development. That's and and seeing the different tiers is what's made me say wow. And when people have asked and they talk about yeah, we won yesterday. Girls can't score. It's another one nothing game. Girls can't score, or maybe mostly the men that have been teaching them don't don't know how they're to teach them the right way. So it's a long question, but a long answer saying. Let's play the right way, which is mostly like the boys are playing, minus the intentional body checking. Don't tell a girl they can't do something because then they won't. They can do everything they're taught to do and allowed to do. Center breakout, kick out, one-timers. If you don't let them do it, then they'll never learn. The argument that I've been told or given or provided by people I know in the hockey world who have not really been exposed to female hockey, aside from, you know, watching it on TV has been that uh, the body checking component that the boys have from age 13 on really changes the game and separates. Well, in the case of boys hockey, the men from the boys, both figuratively and literally in the girls game, you frequently have 14 year old girls playing with 17 year old girls, which you would never see on the boys side, but it's because of the body checking. Uh, when you take body checking out of the picture, how has that, uh, made a difference to the girls' game? Well, I, I, I still think that those who come to watch who are blind, right? They, they Not blind, but blind to the girls' game. And I've sat at the glass with the, the AAA boys, Marley's summer teams that are stacked, right? They're the ones that Subban and Stamkos and Tavares all play together because mm, Stamkos' dad ran that team so they could take the best of the best and stack the team. Uh, they're at the glasses. Our kids are playing and then the games are delayed and you hear, oh, you know, why do we have to wait for the girls to play? And blah, blah, blah. 
And then the dads turn around. And I mean, at, at that point for girls hockey in the summer, I'm using that example. The rink is packed. It's, it's, it's many people there I've ever seen for a game. Like we're talking about York University, you know, rank five where there's feels like there's 2000 people there, but maybe there's six or 700. And the boys are kind of saying these, these people are not, they're not here for us. They're like watching this game. They see it. They're not dumb. Then inevitably there's a shot that hits the crossbar and crashes off the scoreboard the puck lands and they're in there, you know, playing with the, 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 the blue ball and it just almost hits them. And they're like, where did that come from? And the dad says to the kid or the coach, you got to watch this. Then they come to the glass and they see this and say, and then a dad grabs your arm. How old are these girls? Thinking the answer is 18, 19. And the answer is the same age as the, your boys behind you. And I'm thinking, we'd like to maybe play you, right? <laughs> you know, maybe there's a one or two year age difference, 12 and 10 or whatever. Uh, I know we still lose, but then, you know, you get the, the blood flows. And then they start saying, wow. And then you hear, these girls are good. Oh, that girl's strong. And then inevitably there's the physicality that's not allowed, but sort of is. So other than the lined up check, that's here comes Susie. There's Jessica. She's lined her up. If Susie does not get her head up, Jessica's going to annihilate her. Well, sometimes for my Jessica, she still did because she felt that was missing in the groups game. And the two minute penalty in a 4-1 game, who cares? So bang, there's the check. So I think that, to say there's no contact or checking is sort of right. But the fact that there's less of it makes a dad say, at least I feel safer in the girls game than the boys who just would check when they were first in the body checking, Richard, as you know, for the sake of checking. So now you've got an epidemic in checking versus where the girls game's at. Some would argue the girls style is probably safer and better for a 13 year old boy. Yeah. Well, you know, at the younger age levels, uh, let's say 12, 11, 10 and under, there's not a lot to choose in size between girls and boys because the growth spurts haven't really hit yet. And the girls tend to mature a little bit faster than boys anyway. So if you were to put a, a triple A boys team at age 10 up against the double A girls team, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot to choose in difference between the two. I still think the, the boys side would win. But when you get to the older age levels, would you say that that hockey is a, a a more purified game on the girls level i don't know even if purified is the right word but it's a purer form of the sport in girls hockey at age 12 13 and up than on the boys side where body checking has become so integral to the way the game is played yeah and i know on the boys side they would say what are you guys talking about but i didn't um, say better or worse yep I just said a pure form of the sport. You know, if you were, if you were to look at, at, at professional football, the NFL or the CFL, and you said that you could only tackle from the waist down, you could not make contact with the waist up, how that would change the game. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's worse. It would just change the game. And it might eliminate having 350-pound guards on the line. I don't know. But... The, the game is different. Like in girls hockey, a girl can slash across the neutral zone from diagonally across the neutral zone to get a pass from a teammate, you know, to, to do a zone entry as opposed to just going straight up and down the wing. In boys hockey, <clears throat> where there's body checking, 
You don't dare do that. You do not dare cross that so-called royal road of the midpoint of, of the ice in the neutral zone without getting cut in half. Yeah, and I and I think that the 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 people on our side who've seen both will say it almost takes away like getting rid of that type of body checking takes away some of the bullshit and a little bit of the danger, which also would be the excitement of the physicality. But when you kind of sift through that a little bit and you're only, you know, you're angling contact, not, you know, separate the girl from the puck as opposed to the boy from the head, you know, the boys take it up a notch. When you do kind of get that and get a good game with good teams and there is the physicality without the trying to kill, it is true. But it's almost as if on the girl side, the people probably listening to this podcast, we only get it, but it's an argument and a discussion we would not have unless it was brought up on the boys' side because they would think, what are these people talking about? We kind of know that that is true, and I do believe with you. I've had parents say, sometimes I just prefer the girls' game, who have boys on the other side. Because the ideology, we just had Dave bring it on my show the other day, and he said, it took me until I was 34 in the NHL for Ken Hitchcock to say, why are you finishing your check? Because Dave said, that's the way I've always been taught. You're taking three extra strides out of the play to hit yes. a guy. And <clears throat> so it's the stupidest thing in the world, but we were taught that, which was dumb. There was actually at one point too much physicality, too much body checking in the NHL. It was done by the third and fourth liners that tried to justify their existence. It was stupidity and they didn't have the skill to do it. In girls hockey, there's no fourth line goon player. They all have to be able to play. They all have to so be skilled. Yes. Yeah, so in a way, the answer to your question, the long-winded answer is yes. In a way, it is actually better and more pure and you know we look at it as as adults you know our kids have played or we're coaching or you know however we're involved we look at it sometimes from an excitement perspective it's more exciting to watch this versus that but what about from a player's perspective the game is supposed to be for the participants in the same way as a classroom is for the students it's not for the teacher to pontificate about you know the causes of the first world war were this this and this here, you're entitled to your opinion, but not your own facts type of thing. But uh, for, in describing girls hockey versus boys hockey, it may be more exciting for certain types of people to watch boys hockey, particularly midget and junior. I mean, most of my experience in coaching has been with the older boys. It's wonderful. I love it. But I wanted my third and fourth line players in junior to be able to play the game, not just go out and hammer someone. So now that I'm involved in girls hockey in Whitby, which I, you know, I, I've said on the podcast before and you live in Whitby and your girls played in Whitby that my role now as a development person with the coaches and with the organization is to is to create players who can all play not just the top two lines but everybody all three lines all three pairs of defensemen every goaltender has to be able to stop the puck uh, and be able to do it efficiently and take the risks that perhaps the boys could not take because they're afraid of having their heads separated from their bodies I agree. I, you're preaching to the choir, and, and I agree with you. That brings up another argument on both sides of, you know, winning versus skill, development. You know, I had a coach once say, well, it came up through Jacqueline's system. A coach said, I'd rather lose a game than lose the kid. So what you're telling me, he said to the parent, you know, we have a regular season game. Like, we don't have a game that if we lose, the kids don't get five other games. So we have a game in Clarington in November – and it's 3-2, 48 seconds to go, and face off, I call my timeout. And the group that just got on is going to come off. <clears throat> this 12-year-old girl is now going to come off. 
because I don't think you're good enough. Yes, it is rep hockey at the high level, but we're going to make this change. I'm not ready to do that now with this group. Um, and his style was I'd rather lose the game because I don't have my best on. But so in November, you're telling me that these won't be the best? You know, maybe me developing this girl here that's going to do something. And you're new to the girls hockey, so you don't know that, you know, November to February development is a change. Growth spurt, skill, opening the wall. I, I, I get it now why those drills that we do in practice. So his idea was development is always first and it trumps winning, which, of course, 98% of parents would say no. But I no, I, I don't up. agree with that. I don't agree. I don't agree with you. No. No, I don't. You, you. I, I know we're cherry picking numbers a little bit. Ninety-eight percent or eighty-four okay. percent. And as as you and I know, eighty-two percent of all statistics are made up on the spot. But right, <laughs> right. But I, I don't agree. I I really don't agree. Having you've been involved in the game for a long time, I don't agree that the vast majority, which is what you're saying, that the vast majority of parents would prefer the winning over the development. Okay, that's good then. That's good. And and you know what is I didn't exactly say I'm, I didn't say I'm right either. I just said I don't agree with you. <laughs> oh, right. What we don't know what the answer is. I think the truth is if winning and it's your kid playing leads to winning because if you go down or up any level, right? You could say, well, if your kid, well your kid's playing triple A, but if they play double A, they'd be the first liner and then they're going to play more and we're going to win more. You're okay with that. But if they're going down to four defense and six forwards and you miss the cut, then you're more about development. So yes, that's right. the and the yang as well, right? And I know we're getting off topic a little bit, but you're right. If, if 17 kids are on a team, maybe you're right. Maybe it's 8-8 eight, eight neutral on the winning versus development. I think what I have learned is if you're taking away the ice time, let's just say you are in that November game, there's a way to give it back in a 3 nothing game and a tournament and whatever that you just don't always run your horses all the time, that you can even things up as a coach, as you know, in other ways. So I'll yeah, there that. are lots, lots of ways to balance that out, but here's another question for you. I mean, your, your daughters have been coached. I would guess almost exclusively by males. Would that be accurate? Correct. Now in female hockey, we are, I think at a stage where, the first generation of females who have graduated out of the playing ranks are now approaching the, you know, the 40, 40 years old plus age group and may be able to transition into coaching at some point, hopefully soon, either because, well, for whatever the reason. But for the most part, every organization I've spoken to, the vast majority of coaches are males. So the males take their experiences as players at whatever level it was, their experiences coaching on the boys' side in some cases, because there are a lot who have you know, they've got their son and they're going to coach their daughter or vice versa, and bring them to the girls' side and have had to really adjust their approaches. What did you notice about the male coaches without getting into specifics, names, credit card numbers, addresses, without mentioning any of that stuff, uh, Steve, what did you notice in general about the male coaches your daughters had over the years? I think some never get it, will get it in the transition and others did quickly. I think the ones that did, um, it was more fun, more successful. They understood that although it's the same game, there are differences 
You know, if you tell a girl, go stand in front of the net, she will stand in front of the net. And if the puck goes off to the side and you say, why didn't you get it? She'll say, you told you me to, told stand, me in front to of stand in front of the net. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. And then, yeah, so they had to realize, okay, it's different. And then it's different how, so that part's different. Teaching's different. How they absorb it's different. Um, uh, a 28 day period with a 12 year old boy is different than a 28 day period with a 12 year old girl. Uh, it changes as it gets older. Um, how you speak, what you can, can, can get away with maybe in verbalization, voice raising and the world's changed. I mean, let's be honest. We could argue at the NHL level, you can't speak to an NHLer the way you used to five years ago. Well, if you can't speak to an NHLer like you could five years ago, how does that change down to Whitby girls, double A minor midget hockey? Well, it drastically changes because if you can't do it at the NHL level, what you think you're going to berate her at the, at the minor midget level? You got to be kidding me, right? So there's ways of getting your message across. How you then, you know, someone who's not pulling their weight at the rep level that you believe you're going to miss a shift or you're going to can't make you a healthy scratch. But, you know, if everyone else is pulling along and has a good attitude and you don't, if I play you the same, I'm actually rewarding your attitude and punishing the eight girls. So there has to be a way that there is a message sent or, or whatever the case may be. So there's all that juggling. But I would say for the most part, I would say above average is the way the transition most of the male coaches made to the game. They learned from their mistakes. They realized what they could and couldn't do, made it fun. And I would say that every single year basically was a good year, was a fun year. And I'm not equating it to winning. Other people do. I'm not. I'm saying that if my daughter saw basically every coach that they had, you know, I'll start with head coach, let's say, and they saw them. They wouldn't walk away from them in the mall. They'd have a moment. How are you? And all that stuff. So I would say over in that regard, you know, that they did well and did make it a, a positive environment that was more about, hey, we're going to spend four practices and one or two games a week together. We're, we're a family from September 1st till, you know, middle of April till tryouts. We're going to make this as good as we can. And for the most part, in that fun environment that they did on the ice, some coaches were further ahead of uh, others just because a coach doesn't run a good practice doesn't mean they're a bad guy. They just had to be trained better. So in that regard, I'm more worried about having the fun part. And if they have to ad lib on the ice and play pond hockey, because they don't have a system and a breakout, I don't care much about that. Other parents did. I said, sometimes you think if you just put them on the ice by themselves, made someone change them so they didn't hog the ice, maybe that's better for minor hockey because they wouldn't be, Oh, I'm supposed to be, f3 here and when they go play pond hockey there's no f3 it's all about skill and and, and wowness so that's kind of my long version answer to that yeah the the adult involvement in minor sports can be um can be difficult obviously do you do you think though that um you know as i mentioned we talked earlier about the differences between the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in boys hockey versus in girls hockey especially at the competitive levels house league is house league tier three competitive is tier three competitive that's where those girls or those boys are going to stay for the most part but when we're talking about the higher level girls and your year two were higher level girls in their later years uh yeah do you, do you think that the coaches approach things differently with the girls and the boys because of the difference in the pot of gold that's available to them or the limited pots of uh gold? no i think yeah, yeah, no, I think in the moment, you know, let's say it was me and you and I was your assistant, you were coaching. I think that 
we we would go into a game or a tournament with the same, let's say they're 15, so it's minor midget boys, minor midget girls. We go into the same uh, tournament with the same attitude. We've got, you know, we've decided we are going to go into this tournament with power play one and power play two. Uh, if we're up three, nothing and your line's on and you're not on it, you, you will play. Um, when you get your chance, make the most of it. If you're going, you'll play. Um, we do want to win this tournament. There are people that are, 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 are coming to watch and we want to roll all three lines and everyone's going to play. Uh, we're going to take it seriously. Uh, we're going to give all both goalies four games in the round robin. Once we move f- further on, we might go back to backs. We might not. We haven't made that decision yet. Why would we have to make the decision before the tournament? Um, and all those are the same things that the boys team would say, basically, even though they're being scouted for major junior and we're getting scouted for the University of Guelph or Windsor or our or, or Maine. So I think a lot of it in the moment as we run our practice, like you're not going to say, ah, I'm not going to teach them the one timer. They're never going to need it. They're never going to be Steve Stamkos on the wing. They're never going to be able to have the strength to, to do it. So why bother teaching them that? No, I think you teach them what needs to be taught. When, when you go to school and you're majoring in business, but you're taking uh, U.S. history, you don't stop after class and say, can we talk about Abraham Lincoln and what he, that, 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 that's really fascinating. We're not going to be history majors, but you want to learn. You want to explain your mind. You're in a good conversation. You're learning about World War II. I didn't know that. So you don't say, well, I'm here for broadcasting. You're here for teaching. You know what? Let's just end the class now. No, the bell's gone. We're in thrall. So we're going to stay and, and, and talk about it. Well, they're never going to make the NHL. So why even have a 90 minute practice? No, we're, we're in the mall. Look at all the people who golf who stink, who say, they go every day to shoot 103, lie and take mulligans and shoot 84. Why? They're going to play. In the- no, they just, they want to do something. You want to live something like, you know, why do we play poker with our friends? We're going on the poker tour. No. So I think that in the moment we just do as human beings, we're competitive and we want to do as good as we can do in the moment because we care. So you and I care. We want the team to do well. And do we draw a line at a certain point that the boys Maybe wouldn't, but maybe, but in the moment, I think we're just doing what we think is right. Short-term, medium-term, long-term. When you look at uh, where your girls ended up playing at university hockey, which with the exception of uh, a pro league, which we don't really have, although there's one team, the Toronto six uh, we don't have in Canada. So university hockey in Canada is the highest level of hockey for the females, despite the national team. So that's a pretty high level of hockey. When you look at your daughter's skill level, what could they have used more growing up that would have helped them more now? Well, uh, my daughters, for your listeners, were undersized players. So they would be more of, um, you know, of um, uh, like a Mitch Marner and a, uh, and a Sam Gerrard kind of players or smaller players. So as I went along and remember at the beginning, I said, I put everyone on a pedestal and went, as I went along and I realized there's not as much skill development as I would like personally, what I'm seeing doing my NHL stuff. You know, at the time I went through a guy by the name of Connor McDavid, who was at the rinks playing for the Marlies when my kids were playing. So people would come over and say, Steve, that 97 guy is here. So we'd go over and watch as an example. And then I called for TSN, the minor midget game when he was 15, Joshua Sang was 15, and Matthew Barzell was 15, the best minor midgets. And I saw, and I, so he's 15, and he's a 97. So this is in that 
2012, 2013. And I said, this is the game. This is the future. I went to our executive that now you are writing in Whitby. And I said, it's all about skill. Like, this is it. This McDavid guy who will be famous someday, who's a star, Barzell, this is the game. We need to spend more time on this stuff and maybe less time on tactical break. You know, the, the ratio I thought at that point needed to change. And it had to be mostly about skill. Thursday night, the girls were complaining about going because they thought they were bag skated to death. And I said, that was a great opportunity to just do skill. And when the executives shot me down and said, no, Steve, that's the boys. Those are boys hockey. That's McDavid, this guy you say is going to be good. Um, first of all, we'll see if we ever hear of him again. And that's boys. It's not the same on the girls. So I like my answer. So it's like starting your own company. I started, I went to a guy named Jim Mercer, a guy named Jared O'Kane, who are we already friends. I told them this and they said, this is bullshit. And we started our own skill camp. So that skill camp ran for three, four, five summers. And I'm answering the question about the girls. So for my girls, I believe in the skating, stick handling, IQ, and skill development. They were in a higher category. To you the point one. where you missed one. Uh, really important. Passing. Passing. Yes, passing. So I still say passing is the worst part of girls hockey. I think that's they do it exactly right. Yes. The worst, right? And Gerald yes. Kane, who, who, you know, talks about that and says it starts with passing. Yes. They'll skate. They're good skaters. They're, they're, they're competitive. We have failed them on the passing. And, and Jared's the guy that says, I'm going to take the blame. Like what? Everyone in life points the finger. It's your fault. Your, so if I say to me, okay, Whitby Hockey doesn't believe my theory and skill development. I'm just a hockey dad. Fine. I'll do it myself. So when I did it with Jared and, and those guys, I was really the three guy. The first game in minor midget coming out of the skill camp, Jacqueline, three goals in 32 seconds, coming down the wing like McDavid. She curled. She insisted it doesn't go D to D. She says it's D to me. Eliminate the D to D. You're wasting time. So it went D to her. She came down the wing to a stationary winger. Picture that, right? Left-handed shot. She attacked the triangle on the stationary winger. Easy. Came in on the defenseman with speed. Then the defenseman says, I'm in trouble. She tur They turn around, attacked the triangle, and was taught by Jared, those guys, short side shelf or low stick. So, so you can teach a monkey to honestly jump through the hoop. You can. So in the skill development, they were, I believe, the head of the game. But the game still was crash and bang, dump and chase, win one nothing, which does not suit my older daughter, you know, as much her coach, the new female coach was all about that. And it was a, a spot of saying, is this how I want to play for the next three or four years? I believe on the skill development side, we had something, but one or two people can't do it. It has to be an epidemic. It has to be a, a movement. So I thought I got the skill stuff. You can't teach size and strength. I think it's happening slowly, Richard, but it's not happening as fast as I would like. And I'm going to guess as fast as you would like. Well, yeah, yeah I, I don't know if speed is the issue. I think it's more of uh, getting people to understand first. But I, I, I know that as the host of a show, I'm supposed to be nice to all the guests. You are the host of, have been the host of many shows, many more than me. And as yep. a professional, 
that you're supposed to be nice to all the guests, but I'm going to take umbrage with one, one thing you said again. Sure. Already, you can take umbrage uh, with anything. It's okay. I already took like up on the 98% statistic. Yeah. Um, I often hear people throw out the big names in pro sport as examples of somebody who can do this and could do that. I hear about Mitch Marner all the time because I'm in this area. In Montreal, growing up, it was all about Guy Lafleur and, you know, Henri Richard, Yvonne Cormier and all these people. Here it's about Mitch Marner or, you know, Connor McDavid, who I saw him at the U17 camp in Cornwall when we were running a high performance seminar. And he was, he was a year younger than all the kids and just dominated. He was 15 years old. Um, so throwing out those examples of players or, or athletes who can do things out of the ordinary that normal humans can't do is not reflective of the real world in the real world uh, you know whether we're talking competitive hockey or house league hockey it took me very little time i think it would take any observer very little time to watch girls hockey uh games or practices and identify well yeah their skating is pretty good it's in a straight line their agility is okay but they can't transition really well uh, their puck handling is not bad, but they don't have the same upper body strength as boys at age 15. True enough, but but the passing sucks. The passing sucks for a lot of reasons. So how do we correct it? So what I do, I, I mean, the way I approach it is looking at technical triage, where you have to look at uh, what the issues are and identify the source of the problem and then and then prioritize the problem. But to improve the game at the girl on the girl side, you really need an education process. And what we have, I wouldn't say failed to do, but not done as well as we should have done on both the boys side and girl side is educate parents and educate coaches on what they can do to improve their children. Because nobody in minor hockey with, with the exception of only a handful are professionals. I mean, I know I'm sounding a little preachy here, but uh, in, in school, your kids go to, to high school or elementary school. These people have degrees in education. They've been trained, whether your teacher is good or not for your child. They're still professionals. They do it every day, 200 days a year, but in hockey, not. So we have to either be patient or do a better job of educating the people who are running the show. I think there was a question in there somewhere, but I don't remember what it was. No, no, and my, my, and I agree with that. I looked at it and say, for the girls to get their attention, like for the camp, or to believe they can do it, you need the the wow factor. You know, they're into the Kardashians. Oh, yes. and Justin yes. So when we brought them in, and you know, this part was my idea, and we we had them in the dressing room, and we had the lights dimmed, we showed them clips. And we know that they've got their visual learners. They got short intention spans. So we said to the girls and their parents were in this uh, uh, room. We were in the room. Uh, so we probably had, we didn't have, first of all, we kept the numbers down. Jared wanted like seven, seven, and seven, three groups of seven. So we only had 21 kids, goalies free. So when you did something, you did it with tons of repetition. So, so when people did it, it was great. Parents were watching. We said, this camp is all about teaching you guys the ability to try and execute the following. And we had Patrick Kane spinorama. We had Tavares catch and release. We had Nate McKinnon spin off on the boards. Bang, 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 bang. 90 seconds music. 
and their faces were, and Jared said, it's okay to fail. It's okay here. Look around. You're going to trip on the puck. You're going to, you have to fail. You're going to fail. It's going to be hard. But on Friday, think how good it's going to be that you will have some of these tools in your toolbox that you just will not see you next year. When you get on the ice by yourself, what do you do? You skate in a circle. You talk to your friends. You shoot the puck, right? Now right. you've got five minutes to be able to whatever. The unbelievable growth of, remember, this was like one-on-one. -on -one. This is you and the defenseman, which is you and the triangle, you and the apparatus. What I saw and what Jared, what we saw was unbelievable. And I know we use McDavid and Martyr as an example. They are elite and they all are, it's unbelievable what they do. But the real truth is they were not born with the ability to do some of the things that they learned in three zones and they learned in their stuff. And they admit, they admit they improved their skill development by doing it. Pierre Maguire said on the air the other day, you can't teach that. You are wrong, Pierre, because they were taught that. And I've watched stone hands turn into magic hands. Have you seen a girl score a goal between her legs, top shelf? Have you seen a girl do the Pavel Datsuk? Have you seen the girl do a spinorama? Have you seen a girl attack three triangles and score a goal short side shelf? I've never are they, seen are these Are these rhetorical questions? <laughs> have you seen, show me a girl right now, USA and Hockey Canada. Show me the wow moments, right? I'm saying you can teach these girls this stuff and we have to start at eight to teach the skill set to make them great. I believe you can improve hockey sense, but skill development, first of all, they, they didn't know how to skate, right? And it took years probably for them to learn how to skate. So it's going to take years for them to learn how to do some of these moves, but to believe we can't teach them that I, it's not only that I believe it, these are coming out of the words of 97, 16, and the greatest coaches. Every NHL player is a skills coach. That's like having your own personal piano teacher. They're learning to play the piano, which is fucking hard. You got to learn the keys and, and then the handstand. You're going, how can a seven-year-old do this? Practice, practice, practice. Guess I'm assuming, what? I'm assuming you can't play the piano. I can play three chords. Sorry, okay. I can go <laughs> like this. Dang, dang, dang. That's all I can. Guess what? But if you told me, Steve, two hours a day, every day, right? Right. So we can agree to disagree, but I believe it's all about skill development. I okay. do. I'm addicted to skill development. Is, is girls hockey on the right track? In some places. In some places or, or just, well, you mean it depends on the association? It depends on the coach that your, your daughter has on a particular day? Should it depend on that? It shouldn't. No. I believe there's... A plan, say Hockey Canada is the cloud and there's ideology and everything else. I don't know if they've got the power to go from the cloud to the rink in Mimico or the, the small town to say, this is what it's going to be. Now, I know USA Hockey, I've got friends, Canadians who are down there, still down there or came back that said it was a Gestapo. They will ban you from USA Hockey if you don't follow the plan. They did. And the person who started their own rink they told the kids, if you sign up at that rink, you are basically you're ostracized. So I'm not promoting that. I'm saying, what is the plan? Let's say, for example, with you, you're in charge and the plan goes from you all the way down. If the water better flow through all the and get if it doesn't. And to me, what I'm saying is, I think in some places 
you know, they're getting, there's no disconnect from the main plan all the way down. In other places, there is a disconnect. I don't think we're all on the same page. How are we with bigger numbers still than the U.S.? How are the American girls better than ours? I'll mm-hmm. ask you that. Oh, they're better. We, they're better. I've watched them get better. I've been shocked. I can't believe it. They're beating us. They're outskilling us. They're, they're, it's working better. It's working better. And it's up to maybe people like you or me, or I don't know, to kind of change the narrative again. I don't know why it is. We can have theories, but right now, if you're asking me, uh, if I have 10 hockey dads, the 10 random dads from girls hockey that we've had, I'd say seven and a half right now would say they're better. They, they would say they're, they're, they're just, they're more skilled. They're better than us. They have passed us. They, they've passed us. I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's not true. I just don't know if it is true or not uh, because I haven't watched it enough or I'm not as aware of what they're doing on the female side in the USA versus I know what's going on in Canada. I mean, you know, each association in Canada, each branch, I should say in Canada has the autonomy to run their programs as they see fit. So what hockey Canada has done with the U7, U9, U11 pathways is limit the number of practice, number of games versus number of practices, increase the practice to game ratio. But in terms of what the content is and how the approaches are done within an association, any association anywhere in the country, that's left up to the branch or left up to the association. So that's a much bigger discussion about how development should run because it's the same on the boys' side. You know, we have pretty much the same number of boys and girls playing hockey in Canada as we did two, four, six, eight years ago, but Canada's population has increased. So on a per capita basis, we're actually dropping. There are more kids playing soccer than hockey in Canada. And basketball is going up per capita. So, you know, there are a lot of other factors involved, but just from the development side, uh, you know, I mean, I'm working in Whitby right now, but what's going on in Oshawa, Clarington, Kingston, uh, Oakville, any of these places to improve the development programs, that's up to each association to determine what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And because you have uh, people who are not really professionals at teaching, uh, on doing it, then it's a lot of times it's fly by the seat of your pants. We'll only worry about our top teams. You know, in, in Ontario, you can go anywhere you want. I don't know if it's like that in other provinces, but in Ontario girls hockey, you can go anywhere you want, anytime you want. So if you want to leave Whitby and go play in Durham West tomorrow, you can go. The tampering is rampant. The definition of tampering by Hockey Canada's rules and the OW's rules is rampant. It's, a, it's an epidemic. How do you stop it? Well, you have to either legislate it or you rely on the good graces of pay, people like you. So I'm saying to you, Steve, if you have a 12 year old girl and you want to go take off to play in uh, Belleville, you can do it. And then you could argue, well, uh, maybe Steve won't take his 12 year old daughter to Belleville if we have a really good program. But what if the coach in Belleville is your wife's second cousin's husband's landscaper, and you happen to like them, you'll go to Belleville. Why? Because you can. There's nothing to stop you. So the argument becomes, should you play within your own area? If you play within your own area, what are those areas doing to promote their programming? What are they doing to develop their programming? Do they have a program? I know of one group that says they have a hockey program, and all they've got are two elite teams. There's no program. All they do is steal players from elsewhere. That's yeah. all they do. I'm not talking yeah. about junior. 
I'm talking about a minor hockey girl is 11, 12, 13 years old. That's not programming. That's theft. So that's not development. That's theft. That's tampering. That's yeah. a very, very, that's a different issue. Um, so I guess my original question was, again, you know, are we going in the right direction in girls hockey? Are we? Well, it's such a broad question. I would say in certain areas, I'd say yes. In other areas, I'd say I don't know. In other areas, I would say no. If the plan is small area practices, small yes. area games, skill development, yes. they must be they must be followed from the Hockey Canada guidelines the way it did with USA Hockey. Small area games, because of necessity and cost in the United States, turned Austin Matthews into Austin Matthews and, and everything. And people say, well, it's Austin Matthews. Well, it started by saying... We only have this piece of ice, and we have a, these kids have to be on it. We don't have 100 ranks like you guys in Canada, so you get this section. And it also is the Brazilian soccer model. Like the, the Brazilian soccer said, from what I read, they said, "Why are we putting everyone on the pitch on the pitch that Pele plays on and play 11 on 11? That's the stupidest thing in the world." Well, that's right? not just Brazil. That that actually began in England ages and ages ago when they did five and ten yard grids to teach uh, 1v1 and 2v2 uh, skills. That's, that's been around a long time in soccer in Europe. Yeah, so we do that and copy it. I just read the soccer Brazilian model of, of game, of practice, practice, practice. You do your, if you can handle seven on seven in a smaller pitch, when you get to whatever age they believe you can go to the big pitch, oh my God, you've just been given a countryside to deke and jive and beat these guys. We have to be doing the same thing. And I think there is, there has not been, that's why I renegated on the skill development side, because I said, I believe you're wrong and I got to do it myself, that I believe that we still, with all the hours of practice time, are too tactical, not enough small area skill and everything else. And I've even talked to coaches in the time about it. And that, as it went along, my biggest frustration was, it's not that you don't care. It's not that you're not fun. It's not you don't go to the coaching clinics. It's not that you don't do all that stuff. But basically, it's almost as if to say, on a 90-minute practice, which is 80 minutes of ice time, we at Hockey Canada or we at Richard Berkerson are mandating your practice. And if you think you're practicing glass and out or you're going to practice your breakout, no. Because then you are fired. Of the 80 minutes, whatever, and I'm not saying in this moment, 40 minutes must be pure skill development or 50 minutes of saying passing, shooting, skating, one area game, small area game, skill development. The McDavid, the Marner stuff, learning how to do it, repetition, 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 shootouts, the, the, the fun stuff. All I know is this. When we finished the camps, the girls said, can this replace Thursday night? Can this replace Thursday night? You can't get a bigger compliment. And when the horn went to end the sessions, when sticks are slammed on the ice because they're upset it's over, that's when you know you're moving in the right direction. It's about having fun. And what's having fun? having the puck and doing things with it, passing it, shooting it, using your teammates. I believe that you can script a lot of the stuff to make the girls have more fun and get better. I really do. Well, that is a lot of the, you've mentioned a lot of the plan that I'm hoping to institute out here. We'll, we'll see if it comes to pass. It requires some other resources and some other kinds of support, but that is the plan. But, but Steve, you and I right now are getting perilously close to the two and a half hour conversation that we had at, at coffee culture in Brooklyn about three months ago, when, <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be like, Hey, you got a few minutes to chat. And next thing you know, we're there two and a half hours and we're at the trivia and all kinds of stuff. So, um, 
we, I, I need to close it off. My sponsors, I don't have any, but I'm thinking that if you're a sponsor of the show, Richard, maybe that's enough. What do you think? Well, it's up to you. I hope I answered the questions. I do want to say yeah. I'm okay with agreeing to disagree on a lot of different things. I do okay. say, if parents who are listening, I say this, if you don't believe, and it's not about my kid doesn't get enough ice time. You can give them ice time when we can get back on the ice. I would recommend with your boy or girl in the age, well, every age, really, um, you know, they could be 19 and they're playing in the OHL. We were lucky to have a, maybe I'll end with this story. Uh, Jacqueline for the longest time was uh, going out with a fellow by the name of Chad Yetman. Okay. So they're two thousands. They met in kindergarten and they were kind of high. They were grade school sweethearts started going out in grade seven and eight and kind of went out all the way up to grade 12. Then you go to university, you know how the stories go or whatever. Still close with the family ran into the dad and mom walking in the trail last week. Greg's the dad's name. When they were seven, Greg had, at the time would have been seven-year-old. There's a triple A at seven, triple A novice team. He had the top novice team and would be at seven. Okay. He told the parents, listen, trust me. The biggest game that they will play is when they're 15 minor majors. We have got eight years to get these seven-year-olds playing the right way until they become 15. Okay. Let's win then because we've already taught them the right way. That's my plan. They agreed. They went around the table, all the 2000s, around Whitby, yada, 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 yada. They started the season 1-4-2, and two, and they fired him. They fired him. In Novice? Well, yeah, he, he gone. He was gone by Christmas or New or whatever. He was gone. In Novice? Yeah, yeah the seven-year-olds. He was in charge of the seven-year-olds. And now, they fired well, a Novice coach? Yeah, they, the, the parents didn't like the way it was going. And maybe, I mean, maybe he was forced to resign, or maybe he said, you know what? I don't want to put up with your stuff, but listen. Yeah. But put it this way. He was the coach and then he wasn't the coach. Okay. He stayed on the path for Chad on skill development and playing the right way. Well, lo and behold of that group of 17, when they got to the OHL year, five were drafted from the original group. Unfortunately, some of them fell off. Chad just finished his third year in the OHL as a bit of a late bloomer. He scored 43 goals last year for the Erie Otters. 43 goals. You know what that got him? Got him drafted in the National Hockey League by the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, very nice. You know what that got him? A contract in the American League this year, right now. You know what he did last week? He scored his first pro goal. Cool. Right? Skill development. He cool came a, to cool, our, cool, cool with a C, not a K. Yeah. Yes. So what's the moral? They just stuck with the skill development, skill development, skill development plan. He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. He's not the strongest. He's got some of the moves and some of the things that we talked about. And now he's got a dream that he might fulfill, or at least he's able to say 10, 12 years pro. Who would rather, would you rather work in the mine? Or would you rather play in the American League till you're 35, you cash out, you start your or and you start your next career? I'm just saying this. It's not about the winning. For the parents listening, eight-year-old boy or girl, 12 years old, or OHL, skill development. That's not being a hawk. That's you getting on the ice and developing your individual skills to help you in team play and to help you when the time comes to separate yourself from a defender or to beat somebody one-on-one. -on -one. It's fun. It's great. I recommend it. I know, Richard, you're huge on it. 
-hmm. I wish you success. I think you're going to be great for Whitby hockey. I strongly tell parents, you can improve IQ. You can dramatically improve your child's skill. Trust me. Thank you. We, yeah, we agree on that point. Your statistic earlier, we didn't agree on, but I agree on that point 100%. And on that note, Steve Coolius, thank you very much for, uh, for your, um, your words about, you know, being a parent in minor hockey and in girls hockey and what the game is all about there. And I wish you best of luck. And I hope Chad continues in his pro career and doesn't end up being a broadcaster or something like that, you know, where, you know, these days, like, or a podcaster, or heaven forbid, a teacher or something. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to our next coffee chat or yes. podcast. Thank I'll, you for having me. I'll set aside an entire weekend for it next time. Thank you. Yes. Thank, thanks, Steve. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. Bye.